0: Okay, I know that you all are secretly Emery fans and you uh, recognized the title of this sermon. But Emery is a Christian Screamo band uh, that was very popular in the early 2000s to mid 2000s. And uh, this song comes, uh, the lyric, uh, it's like a pencil with a eraser on both ends, comes from a song called Studying Politics. Uh, really had nothing to do with the sermon, uh, except for this fact that the song kept going through my head because the song is a lot of, I mean, the sermon is a lot to deal with the politics of the time between Israel. And whenever I hear politics, I think of studying politics and I think of my teenage angst, and that is Emery. So I just wanted to put that out there in the beginning. Really had nothing to do with it. I just felt like I needed to, uh, I was abusing too many of Derek Webb's sermons, uh, sermon titles, songs for sermon titles. There's the words I'm looking for. Candace, the other day, though, did ask me while listening to the sermon, asked why I've been brought up the co- covenantial nature between God and Israel, especially since that is a primary reflection of mar- the marriage covenant that Homer, remember my celebrity name for Jose and Gomer, because I'm funny. I told her to hold her horses because when we got to chapter five, I planned to talk about it. And I promise that they actually planned to talk about it in chapter five and not just an excuse I made up on the spot. now that I painted myself for a quarter and I need to talk about it, I promise Okay, to go over covenants and why they are important, I apologize if you've heard this before, but it's important to understand, so quick refresher. Covenants are agreements. They have the same root word that we eventually get the word contract from, but it also has a deeper element, like the most deep element. Covenants were reserved from for the most highest and most intimate agreements. They were not to be made lightly because they were often big repercussions for breaking the covenant, sometimes even death. Death for breaking the covenant. This is not like a term of service agreement that you blindly click through when downloading and doing a software update. This is something you have to take the time to read, to understand, to know. It's in the deepest, most intimate sense, that word know, because they were life-altering. One of the commonest practices during this time of entering into a covenant was to take a sacrificial animal, like a sheep or a goat, cut it down the middle, and then you and the person you were making your covenant would uh, walk through the middle of the parts of the animal on either side. And then you would actually cook some of the animal and have a feast based off the slaughter. The idea, though, was that if you were to break your covenant, the other party could make you like this animal and split you in half. That's very hardcore. Very, very metal. And this is why covenants were not made to be entered into lightly. This is why marriage becomes a covenant because we have a lot of harsh language surrounding the breaking up of marriage. Think about stoning people to death for adultery or infidelity because it's such a life altering decision. And this is why, when I officiate a wedding, I require that we split a goat in half and have the couple walk down the aisle between the goats, entrails and viscera and all, to show them how serious I am about them getting married in the covenant. I'm kidding but only because no one has asked me to take me up on that offer. Another aspect of the covenant was that it was also legally blinding. You could bring up legal judgments against people who you believe were breaking the covenant, so they would face legal trouble for it. Hence why so much of the language of covenant is surrounded by legal connotations throughout the Old Testament. So Israel and God have a covenant uh, through Abram, who becomes Abraham. The sign that they used to honor this covenant was, well, circumcision, which got, you remember, Abram was an older male at this time. So when this happened, they're not living in modern times with all the advancement of medical tools and practices. And if Abram would go through with the circumcision, he's really trusting in God's covenant with him, that God will make him a great nation. Because in order for that to happen, he would have to have children. And in order for him to have children, he can't mess up his circumcision, So there's this procedure that would go fine. He had to trust that God would come through with him. And I know this is a bit crass, but I'm bringing this up because that's a deep level of intimate commitment that God required of Abraham. And this is the intimacy of covenant. There's this deep trust here. So not only Abraham's parts would be okay, but also Abraham's future would be okay. This Closeness and trust now extended to Israel through Abraham puts us into the place where we find Hosea. This deep, intimate relationship is now being called into—it's in trouble and being called into question. The covenant is being called into question because there's been these very intimate offenses between God and His people, and it's important to know because in chapter five, God begins to use some of the legal language that uh, for calling out Israel for not following up on its covenant. Israel has put cracks into the foundation of a covenant and God's about to bring judgment, justice, but also eventually restoration. Okay. The lesson was a bit that lesson was a little bit longer than I intended, but let's start at the beginning of Hosea 5 where God once again seems to address the priests of Israel and the kings of Israel. Because of the covenant nature that we talked about, And also because the culture of temple sacrifice that we talked about last week, that Israel was a part of, priests represented the whole of Israel. They were the ones who could actually touch the blood of the sacrifices and because of the sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were the ones who were only allowed into the holiest of holies to offer that sacrifice and to bring that blood into God's temple. They were the ones who were also called to interpret law. They, alongside of Israel, were viewed to be as the go between God and his people. So when God is re- addresses Israel in this fashion, like he does that God does through Hosea at the beginning of chapter 5, it's important to address all of Israel when he addresses the priests. That's how important the addressal of a priest are. It's God's way of saying, hey, everyone, listen. I'm addressing this speaks to both of you in a spiritual nature, the priest, and your political nature, the kings of Israel. I'm speaking something that's holistically about who you are, and I ain't got good news. God begins this diss track again, citing citing holy places that Israel has defiled with its errant practices. See, Mizpah is a place where Laban, uh, Laban, sorry, I don't know where I got that from, Laban and Jacob said that God would be watching over them, and they built an altar to God for that blessing. So when God says you have laid a trap at Mizpah, God is saying you are calling on Israel who have used God's protection to do evil things, using God's blessing to harm other people or to, quote, trap them since they are protected. Then God brings up Tabor, which is this mountain in the valley of Jezreel. Yes, the same valley that our Hosea's first son is named after. Um, God uh, references net extending because there's a division in between the kingdoms of Israel. The net has split the two kingdoms and God will start addressing how his protection from the blessing of Mizpah has now also casted a net, splitting Israel and leading to a deep uh corruption i think it's an important thing to note here much like what we talked about with covenants when things get split into two israel now much like their covenant being broken is being split into two: true ephraim and judah northern and southern may i be like this animal if the covenant has ever been broken the Lord calls to Ephraim and scolds them for how they have been corrupting their brothers to the north. He calls them a prostitute that is luring their brothers into covenant-breaking behaviors. Ephraim cannot be satisfied by the Lord because the Spirit, like we talked about last week, is desiring to be filled by other gods. Because they keep looking, they will never find what they are looking for. And that's a sentiment that kind of resonates with me. You know that old joke that when you are looking for something, that once you stop looking for it, you will find it? This is, there's so much truth to that, just, not just for when we look for material things, but also for when we look for our own emotional and spiritual, emotional needs and our own spiritual desires. That when we are busy searching, we might miss the very thing that we are searching for because we're too busy searching. This hits home in a certain way that we spend so much of our lives searching that we might miss the very thing that we that we're searching for partly this happens because we find things along our way that we're searching for that will kind of satisfy us, even for a bit. We would not keep going down a path that produced no results. So sometimes these small results, these small finds, block our receptors to see the larger thing that we may be looking for. In a spiritual sense, we spend so much time searching for God that we might get too busy to actually see where God is. And instead, we find these smaller gods that we find along the way that actually block our ability to see the actual God in front of us. Because these smaller gods will never satisfy us, but they will pacify us from not seeing God. I want to say that again because that's a really important thing for us to think about. The smaller gods, they will never satisfy us, but they can pacify us into not looking for God, Ephraim, or Israel at this point, has been searching to fill their needs for things like protection and economic stability and spiritual well-being. And the Lord says, you have been searching in all the wrong places. You have found these smaller gods and they have led you to a broken covenant. God warns them to stop leading their brother astray. And it is important to note that in Hosea 5, 6, when Hosea says that they will bring their sheep and cattle to seek the Lord and they will not find him, this is a direct correlation to sacrifice culture as sheep and cattle were often used in simple sacrifices in order to seek the Lord. They will make these sacrifices to God, but they won't find him. They go through the motions thinking that the Lord will hear them and believing that these sacrifices the Lord has received, but the Lord's not there. The Lord did not see their sacrifices because they are so distant from them. And I think that you hear this is a common theme for Israel and a common theme for humanity. Does the Lord want entirely burned offerings and sacrifices as much as obedience to the Lord? Listen to this. Obeying is better than sacrificing. Paying attention is better than the fat from rams. That is 1 Samuel 15, 22. Acting with righteous and righteousness and justice is more valued by the Lord than any sacrifice. That is Proverbs 21, 3. Go and learn from this, uh, from what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Those are the words of a wise carpenter, Jesus Christ, Matthew 9:13. Sacrifice made with a distant heart is not heard nor seen by the Lord. And in this, the church has been complacent. The American church has been complacent. We have made sacrifices with empty hearts. We have gone through the motions and made empty prayers and sang empty songs. And when we engage in this way, we miss the desires of the Lord. The Lord never desired sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. He desired for us to know him intimately. Sacrifices were not made for us. Uh, Sacrifices, I'm sorry. Sacrifices were made for us not for the Lord. And sometimes in the church we get that backwards and think that the Lord desires those sacrifices, which sounds very familiar like Mark 2, 23 through 28. Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath and as the disciples made their way, they were plucking the heads of wheat. The Pharisee says to Jesus, look, they are breaking the Sabbath law. And he said to them, Have you, Haven't you read what David did when he was in need? When he and those with him were hungry? During the time when Abathar was a high priest, David went into God's house and ate the bread of presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave bread to those who were with him. Then he said, The Sabbath was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. This is why the human one is Lord even over The Sabbath. It's almost like Jesus was a really good rabbi and he knew the scriptural intent of writing versus the prophets, uh, the writing of the prophets versus the popular interpretation by the Pharisees. I'm going to say that again because I kind of messed it up and it was a really good line and I'm kind of sad about it. It's almost like Jesus was a really good rabbi and knew the scriptural intent of the writing of the prophets versus the popular interpretation by the Pharisees. Back to what God is saying through Hosea. God admonishes Ephraim for its role in corrupting his brother to the north Judah. The wound that Ephraim has from his wandering would not heal. And so eventually they go to the kings of Assyria in order to receive a reprieve. And what the Lord lets them know is they will not find reprieve by making a covenant with another foreign nation. Because their original covenant was not with Assyria. It was the, It cannot be with kingdoms of this world. It has to be with the living God. And I think this is one of those apologies for me when I was writing the sermon series about the prophet and the prostitute and learning to love the American church again and having these little sessions of apology that's a long time coming. I want to apologize how the American church, in its own woundedness, went to other powers in order to seek healing, to seek power, and to find its own fulfillment. Too long have we as the American church looked to things like political and economic powers to heal the woundedness that we have experienced inside the church. We went to these other smaller gods in our hurt and pain, thinking that we could broker a new covenant when God above reminds us that our covenant is with him. We try to align ourselves with politics and politicians so that we could enact laws to protect us, forgetting that it is God who we made a covenant with, to protect us. I apologize on behalf of the American church because we align ourselves with powers and principalities that were not God in order to do what we believe God has called us to do. When we sought our own safety at the expense of those who have called us to be a safe place for when we sought to gain at the expense of others, because we sought to heal our own woundedness. When we sought political ways to solve spiritual problems, Healing alone will come by the Lord's hand and not by the kingdoms of this world. I apologize for those who we hurt, for those who we uh, intentionally or unintentionally marginalized. Lord, where we are wounded as the church, remind us that it is you who heals us for us not to seek the gods of this world. Lord, where we make sacrifices to you without the intent to follow through, while we look to others for our covenantal relationship other than you, Lord, for all of those who we have hurt in that process, I apologize. I am sorry. And I repent. The end of chapter 5 says the Lord has with the God calling himself a lion. And that is a God who is a mighty beast who stalks his prey and no one can take from him what God desires. And this is actually a very graphic way of a segue into the next chapter where we get a little bit of reprieve in his distract towards Ephraim and Judah. This short refrain is where Hosea reminds us that the Lord alone is the one who will heal us, that can bind up our brokenness, that it's important to remind ourselves that it is the Lord alone who will bind up our brokenness, that the woundedness that we talked about earlier, it is the Lord alone who will heal us and who will bind us. Hosea is reminding Ephraim that even though the Lord has seen the covenant broken, he has not given up on his people. He will still come like the morning dawn. He will still give the earth water. Because in the midst, the muck and mire, the sordid history, and the following of other gods, he will still give the earth water. He will still give us drink. Through Hosea, the Lord returns back to his questioning of Israel. And I want to hit on one last thing in chapter 6. And that is verses 6 through 7. I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God instead of entirely burned offerings. But like Adam, they broke the covenant. They acted in bad faith against me. Once again, the Lord points to that it is not about sacrifice, but it is about knowing and loving as God has called us to know and love. We are not called to blindly follow sacrifice culture. God is challenging us to not go through acts of worship, but really to give in to worship. Not to know what to do, but to be known by him and to know God. That is a tension that I think we still breathe in the American church. We know so much of God, but do we really allow God to know us? And then to inform us on how we are to know and live and exist in this world. And God brings up the covenant with Adam, but he was actually, Adam here in Hebrew is referring to all of humanity. He says, All of humanity broke the covenant and they acted in bad faith against me. And I have grounds to break our covenant up. And yet I will still find compassion with you because I was showed compassion to Abraham. And I will show compassion to you as the church. And I will show compassion to you as an individual. And I will show compassion to you. Like me, Jerry. And even though we have may acted in bad faith against the Lord, we know the rest of the story. That he still finds us worthy enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf. That Israel... Even though through their whole way of they've lived their life of killing the prophets, of rebelling against God, God still says, I know the total story. And I still find you worthy enough to send my son, Jesus Christ. So even amidst our own failure in following God, we are still found worthy. In amidst our our apologies, we are still found worthy. In amidst of our going through the motion, God has still found us worthy. Because just like we were not, uh, the Sabbath was made for us, not man for the Sabbath. It is not us who makes God worthy, but it is God who makes us worthy. I want to say that again because that is so important because I think we get so caught up in this point that we think that it is through our holy actions that we declare God holy. Holy. God doesn't need us to do things to declare God holy. God is holy on his own. And in fact, what he says is, I make you holy. If you want to become like me, to become holy, follow after me. That is what God requires. Not some acts of sacrifice, not burnt offerings, but a life lived in knowing who God is. And that's really good news for us. Because if it was dependent upon what we did, we would fall short the glory of God. But since it is Christ who has made us clean, we get to share in that glory. Usually here, I would end the sermon. But I wanted to address what happened in Atlanta this week. If you have not heard or paid attention to the news, a young man killed eight people, six of which were Asian women, as he went through different massage parlor, spas, to kill these women. His reasoning is that he was struggling with sexual sin and he wanted to remove temptation. Obviously, being Asian American, this hit close to home. Also, this man was evangelical. He's part of the American church. The thing that throughout this sermon series I've been trying to apologize for, to pray for, to love again. And yet, this man who is part of us did something so heinous and removed from who God is. It felt like the need to say, That this is not representative of the church, but rather a representative of a sickness that lies inside of our church. Yes, this man made an individual choice, and that is what people will say. But choices are always based off the environments that we find ourselves in. And if this man was raised in a community, in a church, that saw people not as objects to be destroyed, but as people who are created in the image of God, Christ in front of us, I feel like his decision would have been made differently. If your church is not teaching you that the people that you disagree with, people who are sinners, people who are different than you, are objects to be destroyed, then they are not following the same God, the same Christ, and the same Holy Spirit that I know. If your church are teaching you that people are objects... And is not the God, the Christ, and the Spirit that I know. People are not objects to be destroyed. People are not objects to be destroyed. People are not objects to be destroyed. See the image of God in everyone. I plead. I plead to you to let not those who perished because of one of our people, an evangelical, somebody a part of the American church, do not let those who perished because of that action be the writer of the story of who Christ is. Let us then instead speak with louder voices to call out the demons inside the American church that forgot to teach that Christ is in all. Regardless of who they are, how they have acted, Christ is in all. Please. Please. Please.